This is Joel Johnson, Senior Minister at Parkview Christian Church. I want to thank you for listening to our sermons online. If you have any questions, feel free to contact me by email at joeljohnson at parkviewfinley.org. When I was in college, I went back to the dorm one evening on a Friday night. It was getting close to Easter, and the, there weren't many people in the dorm. And I, uh, in the hallway, bumped into a friend of mine who lived down the hall. And it was just the two of us in the hallway, nobody else around. And he had something in his hand. It was a Cadbury cream egg. He didn't like Cadbury cream eggs, but yet someone had sent it to him in the mail, maybe his mom, I don't remember. But he, he just didn't really care for them. And so he offered it to me. And uh, I, as a you know, hungry college student, was just inspired by his kindness. It's not just a little piece of candy. It's not a stick of gum. This is like a, a, almost a candy bar. It's a Cadbury cream egg. They're fantastic. I was like, wow, that's, that's, that's great. Thank you. And uh, he, he made a motion like he was going to toss it to me. And we were standing about six feet apart. I don't need to demonstrate what six feet looks like to you. We're all well aware of what six foot spacing looks like. And he lo- it looked like he was going to toss it to me. And so I got ready to catch the, the Cadbury cream egg. And I was thinking, you know, it's shaped like an egg. When someone tosses an egg to you, they do like the egg toss, just a light lob that you catch, you know, like kids trying to make sure the egg doesn't break. And so I put my hand out and he threw the egg and it didn't arc. It was a line drive. <laughs> Hit me right in the forehead. And I heard echo, this hollow sound, that, that, the hollow egg, right? There's a little, there's a little hole of space that the, that the inside of the Cadbury cream egg doesn't completely fill. That's the hollow sound I heard. Um, I heard that, that sound, and it hurt immediately. I don't know if you know how hard Cadbury cream eggs are. It's like a half inch of chocolate on the outside. It's solid. And immediately, I felt pain, and I reacted emotionally. Like, what? Why would you do that? What, what would possess you to hit me in the head with a Cadbury cream egg? I, I asked a very accusatory question, and I have to be honest. It came from what I was thinking. It crossed my mind. Did he offer me this Cadbury egg? just so he could beat me with it. I bet he did. And I was angry. I was in pain, and I responded emotionally. It was wrong, but I did. And when I did that, he responded defensively and said, it's not my fault you didn't catch it. And that perpetuated an argument between us. We stood in that hallway and argued about a Cadbury cream egg and the bruise that was forming on my head. It was a ridiculous argument. Not the dumbest argument I've ever had, but it was up there. It was an argument because I responded emotionally. That's what began the escalation into argument. It remained an argument because we both refused to admit that we were wrong and dug our heels in to demand the other acknowledge that we were right. Now, if I had gotten control of my emotions and said, wow, that hurt, but thank you for the very kind and gracious gift, argument would have been resolved. If I had responded angrily in pain and he said, wow, I'm sorry that slipped out of my hand. I'm sorry that that hit you, but you are being kind of a jerk. It would have left me room to say, you know, you're right. I'm I'm hurt. I'm angry. I'm, 
I'm sorry about that. We could have de-escalated the situation at any moment if we had either one of us been willing to acknowledge we were in the wrong, but we weren't. And so the argument ensued. As we step into Romans chapter 14 today, we're going to hear from Paul about disputes in the church, about very specifically the judgment that's taking place between believers. Uh, Judgment that's becoming an issue as tensions rise. And so we'll begin reading together in chapter 14, verse 1. Hello? And uh, we'll continue through the rest of that chapter. We're getting close to the end of our series. Next week, we will cover chapters 15 and 16 in our last sermon for the series. Excited about wrapping up uh, this incredible book of theology, our thoughts of Paul teaching us about faith. So if you want to open your Bibles and read along, the words will be on the screen. Also, if you want to use the YouVersion app, Search under events for Parkview Finley. You'll find scripture and sermon notes there as well. Accept the one whose faith is weak without quarreling over disputable matters. One person's faith allows them to eat anything, but another whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. The one who eats everything must not treat with contempt the one who does not. And the one who does not eat everything must not judge the one who does, for God has accepted them. Who are you to judge someone else's servant? To their own master, servants stand or fall, and they will stand, for the Lord is able to make them stand. One person considers one day more sacred than another. Another considers every day alike. Each of them should be fully convinced in their own mind. Whoever regards one day as special does so to the Lord, and whoever eats meat does so to the Lord. For they give thanks to God, and whoever abstains does so to the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to ourselves alone for ourselves alone. None of us dies for ourselves alone. If we live, we live for the Lord. If we die, we die for the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. For this very reason, Christ died and returned to life so that he might be the Lord of both the dead and the living. Now, if you think back uh, through what we've been discussing, Romans, in chapter 2, Paul has already confronted uh, the matter of equality in the church, of judgment that was taking place. In chapter 2, he's talking specifically to the Christians with a Jewish background who were looking down on the Christians with a Gentile background because the Jewish Christians had this very strong, strict structure of law from their background that they continued to abide by. And the Gentiles who had come to accept Christ didn't abide by that same system of law. And so the Jewish people that had become Christians looked down on them because of the what they saw as a very lax, very... Uh, overly free expression of their faith. Now, as we move into chapter 14, Paul is addressing his words to the more Gentile Christian population in the way that they are judging and looking down on the Christians with an Israelite background because of the strict obedience they had with the law that they viewed as a lack of faith. And what we, what we read from these words very specifically is Paul's warning that judgment destroys unity. Judgment creates tension, difficulty, conflict as we begin to elevate ourselves above others, as we begin to create a platform of superiority from which we look down and see things that we don't like, and we begin to tear those things down, and we begin to tear down the people associated with those things. And Paul is very clearly pointing us to recognize 
a healthier way to live out our relationships of faith. And so he began talking about those with uh, strong faith, looking down on those of weak faith, and defined those terms as someone with a strong faith who is very certain, has studied, prayed, convicted of what is right and wrong. And they are living within the boundaries of God's will, enjoying the freedom that comes with knowing that they are doing what is right. They're not, they're not doubting, they're not questioning, they, they are certain. And he expresses those of weak faith as those who more legalistically are doubting whether or not the thing that I want to do is okay for me to do as a Christian or not. And because they're full of doubt, the weakness of their faith is bringing them to a place where they think maybe I'm violating what God is calling me to do in terms of right and wrong, but maybe I'll step there anyway. And Paul is saying, well, if you act on that doubt, that's bringing you to a point of sin because according to your conscience, you're violating what you believe is right and wrong in terms of where God is leading you. And so Paul defines those terms for us a little bit and helps us see that the Christians who have come from a Gentile background who are enjoying their, the freedom of their faith uh, have begun to look down on the, the legalism of the practice of the Christians who have come from a Jewish background. And so Paul very clearly reminds them to think in terms of unity, to think in terms of equality, and to recognize that many of the disputes that have arisen, many of the points in which uh, Christians are judging each other are, are disputable matters. They're not matters of theology or instructions from Scripture. They're matters of preference and, and opinion. It, it's the, the kind of thing that is, is right but different, like apples and oranges. They're both fruit. They're both nutritious, they look different, they taste different, but they're both fruit. In terms of our faith, there are a lot of things that we do that are right, that are healthy, that are beneficial to our faith, that are pleasing to God, but there are different expressions of those right things. Take, for example, worship. It is beneficial for us to lift our voices to God together and praise his name. How do we do that? What's the best way to do that? Well, there are lots of preferences. There are ancient hymns. There are more current hymns. There are praise choruses. There's contemporary worship. There's modern worship. There are different expressions of things that are good. And we shouldn't look down on people who worship in a different way, who resonate with a certain style of worship. We shouldn't judge them for that. We should celebrate the fact that, they're all, that we are all lifting up the name of God together and see the common ground that exists among us rather than initiating conflict. And so for the New Testament Christians, those specifically in Rome, Paul says, this is, this is an issue in the church. What are the issues they're dealing with? First is when they gather together, they're sharing a meal together, there's fellowship happening, but they look across the table and realize that some of the Christians aren't eating meat. Why aren't you eating meat? Why aren't you enjoying this meal with us? And they look back and see that other people are eating meat. How could you do that? And an argument rises up because they're judging one another for their preference of opinion. Now, there are Different reasons why people at that time chose not to eat meat, why they would stick with a vegetarian diet. And from what Paul tells us, both are acceptable. Uh, it's a problem that has existed in the New Testament church. As he wrote to the church in Corinth, Paul made certain to help them understand that uh, specifically the issue was that the meat they had that they would have partaken in was meat that had previously been sacrificed to an idol or a false god. And 
some of the believers who had a very strong faith, who were certain that there are no other gods, that God is the one true God, didn't view that meat as having been corrupted because it was offered in sacrifice, because that, that practice of a false religion to a false god or an idol was meaningless. And so it didn't do anything damaging to the meat. It could still be consumed with no wrong convictions, no, no violation of their, their convictions. There are others who believe that because meat was sacrificed to an idol or a false god, that it now was unacceptable, that it would be sacrilegious. It would, it would violate their relationship with God if they ate that meat. And so that was the point of contention for many of the Christians. And Paul said, if you are firmly convinced and it's not causing you to sin, why are you making a point of contention about it? Why are you arguing, arguing so significantly about it? Paul referenced those who were strong, needing to guard against the temptation to feel superior to the Christians who were very strict in what they chose to eat and not eat, who were very careful about not violating the law, not violating the instructions of God, not damaging their relationship with God by something that might be wrong. And because there was doubt, they needed to make sure they didn't do it. But Paul says, instead of tearing them down, maybe we should consider where they're coming from. Notice that while he is careful to say, you need to stop judging and creating arguments over these disputable things. He doesn't say you should not have an honest conversation with that fellow believer. You shouldn't. He, he's, he doesn't disc- keep us from learning about background and history, hearing about where they're coming from and understanding their point of view. He doesn't keep us from opening up Scripture and pointing to the freedom that we have in Christ and and defining the terms of what truly is a moral problem and what is a matter of opinion or preference. And so Paul reminds us that we have a very strong responsibility to overcome our commitment to our own preferences and to connect with others, even when we don't see eye to eye, so that we can build common ground for the sake of unity in the church. The second issue among believers was about holidays. The Jewish Christians had a history of celebrating feasts and, and religious observances to the Lord. Remember from our study in the book of Esther a little while ago, they established the celebration of the Purim that was an annual celebration. When the Israelites were delivered out of Egypt, they then began celebrating the Passover annually. They had lots of festivals, holy days, days to honor God for the things that he had done in their past. They were great, beneficial to them to honor God and remember them. Those from a Gentile background didn't have that history with God. They didn't have those holidays to celebrate. That didn't mean that they didn't love God or care about God, but when they gathered together, there was a difference between the way that they lived on those days and the way the Jewish Christians lived on those days. Was either one of them wrong? Paul says no. Those, Those celebrations are a matter of history, but they are not a requirement of the law. You can have a relationship with Christ and celebrate those holidays in honor of God or not celebrate those holidays in honor of God, and neither one of them is going to be a moral problem for you. We can enjoy freedom, recognizing our responsibility to God. And that's what Paul says. We, we need to recognize that we live for the Lord, that our first responsibility is to honor God with our life with our actions, with our decisions, and to make sure that we're not violating our conscience in terms of what we know is right and wrong and continually learn how we can best live out our faith. 
and bring glory and honor to him. While we enjoy a freedom within God's will, we recognize the boundaries of God's will, that we have room to operate within those boundaries, but the problem comes when we step outside of those boundaries and into sin. As long as we're within the boundaries of God's will, we have the freedom, we have the peace of mind, we have the joy to live out our faith according to the instructions we have from God. And we may do that a little differently than the people around us. And that's okay, because we're all within the boundaries of God's will, honoring God and worshiping together. These are very personal decisions that we make. And we recognize that we have been blessed with a family of believers around us, of people who care enough about us to want to see the best for us, to want to help us grow closer to the Lord. And they're willing to look into our lives, to observe the things that we say and do, and to help us grow. And sometimes that means pointing out things that might potentially lead us into danger, that might potentially lead us into a place of temptation and sin. And they care enough to correct and to guide. Maybe they see things in our lives that are, that are damaging our relationships. And they, they point out to us how we could live better within the context of those relationships. We would choose to make some, some changes in the way that we interact with others. This encouragement to grow in faithfulness and maturity is accountability. And that's what we have as a, a body of believers, an opportunity to hold one another accountable, to help each other grow closer to the Lord. We have opportunities to mentor one another, to purposefully invest in the lives of one another, to, toward mutual growth, toward maturity, that we would, each of us, grow closer to the Lord and together grow closer to the Lord. Unfortunately, accountability and mentoring are a very fine line away from judgment and criticism. They're in the same ballpark. In each situation, we're evaluating one another. We're addressing issues. The difference is the manner in which we address those issues. When we are operating in accountability and mentoring, we are communicating in a loving way, an encouraging way, building one another up. When we step into the realm of judgment and disputes, we become critical, demeaning, tearing other people down. Paul was clear about the issues in the early church of judgment and conflict. In the church today, we're no different. The subject of the conflict is different, but the fact remains, there still exists in the church difficulties because we judge one another, difficulties because we create disputes over sometimes meaningless things. But we all experience that, that fear of judgment when we gather together. Maybe you, you've experienced it when you had an opportunity to pray out loud in front of other people. Maybe you've felt this way. I, I have in the past. I've, as I'm praying, as I'm communicating to God and, in, in an environment to help other people pray at the same time, I found myself wondering, what, what do people think about when I'm praying? Will they hear my words and and think that I have a weak faith? Will, will, they, will they wonder about my relationship with the Lord because of the way that I pray? Will they, will they be impressed with the kind of words that I say to God? That's a, that's a sad thing to be thinking about while we're praying. And yet, when we pray out loud, when we put ourselves out there. It's a very vulnerable place. And we, maybe because of history, because we've been judged in the past, because we've heard critical comments from other people, we wonder, what do people think about me while I'm doing this very spiritual thing? And it's a, it's a sad commentary on life 
with other people. That, that, that kind of judgment is on our minds even while we're trying to connect with God. But churches have been affected by judgment, by criticism, by, by conflict. I've been a part of uh, quite a few churches. I've attended a variety of churches. I've been on staff in three different churches. And I've seen all kinds of things happen in the church. When I was in, in junior high, the church I attended split. It, it, was, it was awful. The, the damage that was done. The, the people who once shared this very loving, unified Christian community turned on each other. Attacking, tearing down. And as a, a kid in the youth group, I saw it happening. Um, saw the, the pain. Saw people walk away from the church. Saw some of those people walk away from the Lord because of the conflict. There was a, a portion of the congregation that wasn't involved in the, in the conflict, wasn't involved in the dispute, and yet they were damaged also because of this, this animosity, because of the division in the church. They were, they were forced in to pick sides. They were accused of picking sides, even when they would just show up to attend a worship service. It was, it was a very damaging thing. Not only was it damaging within the, the body of Christ, it was damaging to the community. As the people around us looked in at the church and saw how horribly we were treating one another, and we damaged our reputation. We damaged the reputation of the church at large. We damaged the reputation of God in the eyes of all of those people. They looked at the church. It's supposed to be a community built on love and grace and wondered how we can truly have a meaningful love to share. We can't even get along together. Disputes in the church rise up over some of the most meaningless things. They also rise up over very significant things. But when we're dealing with disputable matters... Paul's instructions point us to recognize the, the importance of people. And no matter how we find ourselves in conflict with one another, we, we have to come to terms with the fact that we, we've come to a place in our world today where we are losing the ability to address and resolve conflict. I don't know if you've felt that in the world today, this rising tension coming to a boiling point where people are ready to fight, to argue, to attack, to tear down over a variety of issues in a variety of realms, in the home, in the workplace, in the church, in the community, on social media. People are on edge, ready for conflict over a variety of topics, of personal preference, of politics, of raising children, of beliefs. It doesn't matter. It's the, the conviction the emotional response, the refusal to acknowledge where you're wrong and to see where other people might be right. And while some people view that as a, a depressing place to be, as Christians, we see this as an incredible opportunity for us to stand out against society, to become the love and grace of Jesus Christ, to, to find an opportunity in each of those moments to step back from the emotions and bring peace to those conversations, to, to connect with people and, and discover the common ground that we share, even when we're disputing 
something that is in the same realm, that we, we can demonstrate how to resolve conflict in a healthy way as we address problems and find a productive solution, as we are willing to have meaningful conversations with other people and reach through the conflict to connect with them, set it aside for a moment to care about them instead of tearing them down. We have an incredible opportunity that slips out of our fingers so easily. I want to challenge you to think about each of those moments that you have in the home, in the workplace, in the church, in the community, to think about unity, to think about peace, and to care for people in the way that Christ is calling you to care for them, to develop deeper relationships with people, to provide for others a place where they can express their thoughts and beliefs, where you can encourage them and guide them and, and, and help them discover what it is that Scripture has to say about what it is that they're talking about, a place where each of you can care about each other enough to to speak honestly and truthfully about flaws that you see, about corrections that need to be made, where there's room to admit that you're wrong and to acknowledge where the other person is right instead of digging in your heels. There's relationships that we can build, relationships of accountability, relationships of mentoring, where mutual growth can take place. We're willing to open ourselves up and be vulnerable with other people. Paul's words continue in verse 10. Here's what he says. You then, why do you judge your brother or sister? Why do you treat them with contempt? We will all stand before you. It is written, as surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me, every tongue will acknowledge God. So then, each of us will give an account of ourselves to God. Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in the way of a brother or sister. I'm convinced, being fully persuaded in the Lord Jesus, that nothing is unclean in itself. But if anyone regards something as unclean, then for that person it is unclean. If your brother or sister is distressed because of what you eat, you're no longer acting in love. Do not, by your eating, destroy someone for whom Christ died. Therefore, do not let what you know is good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating or drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Because anyone who serves Christ in this way is pleasing to God and receives human approval. And so Paul brings us to the, the, the bottom line. We shouldn't stand in judgment of other people. Why? Because someday we're all going to stand next to each other and all be judged. We're going to stand before the, the judgment of God. And our words, our actions, our decisions will be evaluated. And we'll stand together as equals in that place. So rather than looking at others, rather than tearing them down, rather than criticizing and judging, what we should be doing is thinking about our own behavior, focusing on that, and deciding first if what we're doing is acceptable to God, if it brings glory and honor to him. Deciding what is right or wrong according to our own conscience. Second, we need to think about how our own behavior is going to affect others the people sitting next to us, the people across the room, people in the community who are looking in and seeing who we are and what we do. We need to consider how our lives make an impact on them. The boundaries of God's will provide us with freedom, confidence to live out our faith. But when our freedom presents significant difficulty for another Christian, especially, we should act with loving consideration toward them 
rather than acting in arrogant entitlement. Paul wants his readers, Paul wants us to be strong in our faith, but also considerate and sensitive to the needs of others. Because we each are strong in certain areas and weak in others, we constantly need to consider how our lives will make an impact in the lives of other people, how we can make a positive impact in them for the sake of the gospel. First Corinthians chapter nine, Paul said this about himself. Though I'm free and belong to no one, I've made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. To the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law. So as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law, though I'm not free from God's law, but I'm under Christ's law. So as to win those not having the law. To the weak, I became weak to win the weak. I become all things to all people so that by all possible means I might save some. I do all this for the sake of the gospel that I may share in its blessings. So Paul, when he encountered other people, when he was in the home of Jewish Christians, he chose to set aside his normal practices and abide by the preferences of their house to connect with them, to meaningfully communicate with them, to demonstrate to them that he cared enough about them not to offend them so that he would have room to talk to them about the gospel of Jesus Christ. When he went into the home of a Gentile, he recognized the freedom that he had in Christ to live according to his conscience. And he chose to set his preferences aside to honor the people who lived in that home, to have ground to begin talking to them about the love and grace of Jesus Christ, to help them grow in their relationship with the Lord. He chose to demonstrate to the people around him that he was willing to sacrifice for their sake. And because of that, he had incredible opportunity to communicate to them how much Jesus loves them. And so we find a few important principles to guide our living. One commentator suggested these. First, that we must be willing to sacrifice for the sake of other believers, to set aside our preferences, to help build other people up. Two, our behavior should not, must not, cause outsiders to despise God or his church. That we'd be very careful about the way we live and the way we behave and treat people so that we bring honor and glory to his name. That we commend the, recommendation, the reputation of God rather than tear it down. Three, we must do only what builds up the church rather than tearing it down and consider how we can build up other people instead of tearing them down. Four, that each and every one of us must be true to our own convictions. And that, that really is what Paul is saying to us. As long as we can meaningfully, with a clear conscience, connect with other people, we shouldn't be afraid to set aside our preferences for their sake. Now, these principles help us live fully in the kingdom of God, enjoying righteousness, peace, and joy. That's what Paul says. They bring us to a place to understand that righteousness, peace, and joy with God first, the rightness that comes from, from knowing Christ, the peace that comes over us, knowing that sin doesn't stand between us and God. There's peace in our relationship with him and joy that's provided to us by the indwelling spirit. And those flow over into our relationships with other people. As we interact with others, there's a rightness that happens between us as we, as we defer, as we submit a little bit for the sake of other people and, and set aside, sacrifice our preferences, acknowledging that we're in the same realm of rightness, that we're, we're willing to connect with other people in a meaningful way. And through that process, we find peace together. Rather than conflict, 
because we're sticking to our guns and demanding to be acknowledged as right. Instead, we're finding common ground together and being vulnerable and acknowledging, you know, I really was wrong here. Uh, or for at least the sake of, of what we're doing right now, we're both right. And in the process of that, we find joy, an incredible joy that fills our lives as we connect with other people and discover the unity of the community we have with Christ. Paul's words continue in verse 19. He says, Let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. All food is clean. But if it is wrong for a person to eat anything that causes someone else to stumble, it's better not to eat meat or drink wine or to do anything else that will cause your brother or sister to fall. So whatever you believe about these things, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who does not condemn himself by what he approves. But whoever doubts, whoever has doubts, is condemned if they eat because their eating is not from faith and everything that does not come from faith is sin. So instead of allowing small things to become major disputes, we need to be willing to care for people on the other side of the argument. And Paul says we should make every effort to do what will lead us toward peace, will lead us to mutual edification and building each other up in Christ. I mean, sometimes we have to step back from our feelings and act with consideration, listen carefully, communicating what we're thinking, communicating what we're feeling, and being reasonable in the process, building others up through those relationships. We need to choose to teach and train rather than tearing people down who don't share our experiences, who don't share our understanding, finding growth there. It means we'll need to look with empathy on the spiritual condition of people around us. And in order to care for others, protect them from temptation. To acknowledge that sometimes we present temptation toward other people. And to very conscientiously think about how we can guard and protect the believers around us through our living. When Becca was pregnant with our boys, she made a very specific decision. She read that caffeine is something that transfers from mother to child in the womb, and so she cut out all caffeine. She didn't drink coffee. She didn't drink pop with caffeine in it. She even, if you can believe this, stopped eating chocolate because it contains caffeine. It happened. And I was grateful for her decision, grateful for her commitment for the sake of our kids. And I wanted to support her in that decision. And I realized that my lifestyle would present a specific temptation for her. And so I was very careful to drink my coffee slowly around her so I didn't choke or burn myself and cause her to worry <laughs> unnecessarily. I felt bad about drinking coffee in front of her a little bit, but I still did. Now, that's not a moral decision, but recognize the temptation that I presented to her by my decisions, by my actions. I, I made it more difficult for her to stand on her conviction to protect our children from the effects of caffeine in the womb. When we think about the way we connect with other believers, we need to be thinking about their convictions. We need to be thinking about their areas of weakness and thinking about how we can build them up to grow closer to the Lord instead of presenting Temptation towards sin. For some people, it's a matter of recognizing that they are argumentative by nature. And when we persist 
with our opinions. We're inciting that kind of argument and pushing them to a place of anger that is unhealthy and unholy. And we can protect them by not creating that temptation, by working around those conversations and highlighting the common ground that we share and building them up so that we grow to know one another better. So that when it's time for us to have difficult conversations, those conversations are had in a beneficial way rather than a demeaning way. It's difficult. It takes more time and effort, but it's our responsibility to protect our family in Christ from temptation towards sin. When we fellowship together. We have people over to the, to the house. We need to think about areas in their life where they might be tempted towards sin. You think about just common decisions that you would make, whether or not to serve an alcoholic beverage with a meal. Is that, is that wrong? Well, no. But if, if the person that you invited over has struggled with alcohol, if they're a recovering alcoholic, that presents a very specific temptation that will damage their lives and their faith, potentially. If you decide to watch a movie after the meal, what kind of movie do you watch? Oh, let's watch a comedy. Well, what's, what's in that comedy? Is there significant amount of profanity? Is there sexual content, nudity? That, that presents a specific temptation that you may not have been aware of, but that might be very damaging to the people that you invite over. Now, think about when you watch a movie with kids. You're very specific about the kind of movie. You don't, you don't pick an R-rated action movie. You, you, you watch an animated film with them. Why? Because it's appropriate. They're not ready to handle that kind of, of violence and profanity. Well, we need to be thinking about other believers around us, when we connect with them, when, when we grow closer together, recognizing the places where we're weak and they're strong, recognizing places where we're strong and they're weak, and working together so that, to, that we have a place of unity in Christ, that we're growing in our relationship with the Lord, growing deeper in our faith, and also growing together as we build each other up and mutually benefit from that experience. It, it is a a responsibility we have, a difficult calling to be conscientious and careful and not to become a stumbling block to help people draw closer to the Lord. And as we come to the end of our sermon, I'm, I want to do that for you also. As we, I offer a time of invitation for you. You recognize your need for Jesus as Lord and Savior, forgiveness of sins, that you would Accept him as your savior. Repent of your sins, be baptized in his name. If you're already a Christian and you recognize that you have difficulty judging people and jumping to conclusions and assumptions and easily engage in arguments and you tear people down. You know you do, but you know that it's a place where you really have an opportunity to grow. I want to challenge you to think about how you can build people up, how you can encourage, how you can begin living for their benefit and growing personally closer to the Lord as you do. If there's anything in your life that you need prayer for, if there's a decision that you need to make in terms of your relationship with the Lord, I want to encourage you to come forward as we stand and sing together. Please stand.